What's up, everyone? Welcome into Nonstop BS. I'm Cole Lynchide. You're listening to the Nonstop BS podcast. Today on the show, we're going to be going over some NFL quarterback headlines um, as quarterbacks made the news all weekend. Some mega deals that may have made sense, maybe do make sense. Some that are maybe ridiculous. Uh, then we're going to be going over the NFL scouting combine as we have a lot of results of players that have a lot of high intrigue and there's been some hype, maybe necessary, maybe unnecessary from those players. Uh, franchise tag deadline day was on Tuesday um, and we had some surprises and also some surprises that did not get tagged along with Aaron Rodgers getting permission to meet with a certain AFC team. Then we'll conclude the episode with our best bets heading into Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Are you sick and tired of listening to the legacy media speak repetitively on the same teams, topics, ideas, themes, and players every day? Nonstop BS is a podcast that will give you topics and thoughts about the NFL, NBA, college sports, NASCAR, and others with a deeper vision into why things happen the way they do around the world of sports. There are so many lazy takes from all your favorite media personalities that frustrate you and me every day when we turn on our television or phone. Whether it has to do with politics and sports, promoting big brands, and ridding topics of context just to sway the listener's opinion. I, for one, am sick and tired of this type of sports media, and that's why I'm bringing you Nonstop BS. Nonstop BS will dig deep into the why things happen in our favorite sports leagues, creating interesting conversation along with making me and you a smarter, more insightful, broad-thinking sports fan. Not to mention, I will give you betting picks for multiple leagues using our new way of thinking about the world of sports and having a little bit of fun with it, along with maybe putting some money in our wallets. So if this sounds like something you've been craving when tirelessly listening to people shout at you about how wrong you are from all of your favorite sports media outlets, then make sure you tune in with me, Cole Lynchide, and take the journey of these fantastic seasons we are gifted to enjoy for entertainment with me on Nonstop BS. Welcome into the Nonstop BS Podcast. My name is Cole Lynchide, um, and here on a Wednesday, we have a ton of quarterback news around the NFL, so we will be starting off with a lot of that. Um, it was a pretty fun weekend watching the Combine, a lot of flashy players, flashy results from different players, surprising results from some players, so there's one in particular that I'm definitely going to be talking about and we have a, a story on, um, and then also a just getting deeper into the franchise tag deadline. We had some crazy stuff that went down, um, some stuff that I did not expect to see, and I think we may have a hint of what's going to happen with certain players based on that. So we'll give the final tag deadline results that um, were finalized on Tuesday afternoon. Then we'll be getting into our best bets to conclude the episode with a one bet going into Wednesday in the NBA. Okay, starting off here, Geno Smith receives on um, on on Monday Monday afternoon um, or in the morning. Geno Smith receives a mega deal from the Seahawks. Now, when we went through on the quarterback segment um, that I've been doing over the last um, four or five days on the four or five episodes on the show, um, I predicted Geno Smith was not going to get a deal from the Seahawks. Um, so the report from Mike Garofolo is the Seahawks deal 
with Geno Smith has a base value of $25 million per season, three years, $75 million, with $40 million fully guaranteed at signing, sources say. Um, Smith will earn $28 million in the first year of his deal, and he has $30 million in incentives. So he has an opportunity of earning up to $58 million in the first year. Um, the deal could be, with all incentives and everything included, um, the deal could be worth, uh, for over three years, up to $105 million. The average annual value of that salary is $35 million per year. Um, puts him in the, a category similar to um, the Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr contracts um, around the NFL. So, obviously, from, from when you hear that, you you think massive deal for Geno Smith. And it is. I mean, he in the first year alone, he's guaranteed more money than he's made throughout the rest of his NFL career. He's made just under $18 million throughout his whole career. Um, he's been in the NFL since 2013, so for 10 seasons, and uh, just a, a massive deal after a career year by Geno Smith. Well deserved, well earned. Um, but my first thought when I look at those looked at those numbers was this is a ridiculous contract for the Seahawks to give Geno Smith. You know, the Seahawks for the first time in Pete Carroll's tenure since he's completely rebuilt this team, um, they sit with a, a top five pick, the fifth overall pick in the draft this upcoming year. There's four quarterbacks that have high first-round grades that are projected right now to go in the top 10, um, especially after this weekend, in the top 10 in the draft. And the Seahawks most likely, after the season that they just had, with a, a quarterback in Geno Smith who was very good for them, but still is not a quarterback that really elevated the team. He was just good enough for them to win with a good team. Um, and they're they're probably not going to be in get, getting a top five pick uh, during the rest of the Pete Carroll tenure. I mean, something would have to go drastically wrong for that to happen. Um, so for them not to explore... So seeing this contract, it, it at first, when you see the numbers, it's like, well, the Seahawks are out of the quarterback uh, market clearly in the draft. But when you dig a little bit deeper into this contract, what you really find is, when with the guarantees and everything, this is basically a one-year deal with a possibility of a massive... Uh, uh, with a possibility of if Geno Smith makes a massive improvement, it being a three-year contract for him. This is still a proven deal for Geno Smith. This is just a way for them to avoid the, the franchise tag, which players hate so much. And honestly, if they, if Geno Smith does have another really good year, they would have to give him an insane number fully guaranteed going into next season and be in an even worse position than they are with this contract. Um, this contract guarantees him, as we said, uh, $28 million in the first year. It only has $48 million, $40 million fully guaranteed at signing. So, basically, all the money is front-loaded. All the guaranteed money is front-loaded. There are tons of incentives for Geno Smith, and it's a prove-it deal that he has earned, a, he, and he gets a lot of money. It's a prove-it deal. Come back again. Let's see what you got. I don't think this takes the Seahawks out of the possibility of drafting a quarterback. If they find their guy in the top five picks, even a guy that they maybe have to trade up for. Now, I don't see that happening, but if they have their guy and he falls to them at five, I don't think this is going to sway their their um, their desire to draft their guy at number five regardless. Um, if, if nothing else, they can use either of them as trade bait going into next season. If Geno Smith is fantastic again this year, um, you have you have a, a stud rookie quarterback right behind him. Um, I mean, you can't be in a it's 
it's a very similar situation to the, what the 49ers are in right now. Um, if you think of Brock Purdy in a way um, as the Geno Smith of the, the situation and, and Trey Lance as the, the flashy quarterback that you drafted high that a lot of teams still value because he has so much untapped potential. But it could even be, it would probably even be better, looked at as, as better than that. So um, to me, the these a lot, a lot of the talk right now with the Geno Smith deal is this means that they, Geno Smith, like the Seahawks, like the Seahawks did this as like, a respect for Geno Smith or uh, a way to show appreciation to Geno Smith. Absolutely not. Geno Smith played great for them last year. G- and Geno Smith also has only played great for one season. The Seahawks gave him a deal to make sure that he stays around in case they've caught on to something here, in case they found something in Geno Smith. But they, all- but it also gives them the opportunity to explore their future quarterback in the draft. Okay, next topic I'm going to be going over. The Combine was... A lot, a lot of players flashed in the combine, as they always do. That's always what the combine is. It's a massive hype show. Um, everyone gets super excited about the draft. It's really when all the, the it's it's really when the whole NFL community starts to drool over mock drafts and 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 really dig their claws into. Well, this is my player. I want my team to draft. This is the guy that I think is going to be really good. All that kind of stuff. And there's one in particular, it's always, you know, it starts and ends with the quarterbacks. And there was one in particular this weekend that got a massive boost in his overall, um, I would say, fan fan appreciation, fan notability, fan um, just just expectation of where he's going to be drafted based off of fans and, 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 and what he did in the scouting combine. And that is obviously, if you paid any attention at all, Anthony Richardson, quarterback for Florida. I'm not 100% buying everything that people are starting to say about Anthony Richardson. Um, he had an insanely good combine. Uh, Anthony Richardson ran a 4-4-3 40-yard uh, dash, which is fantastic. And just for reference, um, on the 40-yard the dash time, the only quarterbacks that have ran a better 40-yard dash time at the combine, officially at the combine, are Michael Vick with a 4-3-3. Uh, Reggie McNeil with a 4-4-0 and Robert Griffin III with a 4-4-1. Justin Fields and Brad Smith, who eventually turned to a wide receiver, both ran a 4-4-6. And Cam Newton ran a uh, a 4-5-6. So just to give you a little bit of a a comparison, Lamar Jackson also did, but he didn't run at the combine. He ran a 4-3-4, so pretty much the same as Michael Vick. Um, But that kind of gives you an idea of what Anthony Richardson ran. Uh, he also weighed in at 200 and um, 246 pounds, uh, which is more than people thought. 244 pounds, six foot four. Uh, his hand size is 10 and 10 and a half inches, which is insane for a quarterback. I mean, a comparison for that. I mean, a lot of them are around eight eight inches, eight to nine inches on average. So, a massive hands, which is really important for a quarterback. Uh, his 10 yard split was 1.53 seconds. His vertical jump was 40 and a half. His broad jump was 10. 10 foot 9 inches. So I mean he had insane numbers for a quarterback. A lot of people are starting to compare him to a faster version of Cam Newton. I mean the I've heard Cam Newton comparisons, I've heard Lamar Jackson comparisons. I've heard people say that he's both. He's Lamar Jackson physically, but he's Cam Newton with the ball with throwing the ball. All this stuff needs to settle down. And it needs to settle down immediately. Um, otherwise teams are going to find themselves, some team is going to find themselves in a Trey Lance situation. I mean, we, Trey Lance, it's hard to, it's hard to really bash the guy at, at, 
at all at this point, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything in the NFL yet. And when he has played, he has not really played well. Um, just as a comparison, Nick Mullins, Brock Purdy, two guys that were undraft or late round draft picks and undrafted, um, both in their first uh, five games in as a San Francisco 49er played significantly better and statistically were significantly better than Trey Lance has played in his limited time starting for the 49ers to this point. Um, Trey Lance only played for one year in college at, at South Dakota State or North Dakota State. Uh, another comparable to Anthony Richardson. Only one year as a starter for Florida. Um, some other stats that are kind of eye-popping when you really start to dig into Anthony Richardson and what people aren't talking about right now. 212.4 uh, passing yards per game in his in, in last season for Florida, uh, 53.8% completions, um, which is super low when you compare it to NFL quarterbacks. And against Georgia in the biggest game of their season early on, he was 18 for 37, completing under 40, um, five, under or 45% of his pass, about 45% of his passes, uh, 271 yards, one touchdown, and he rushed the ball. 11 times for 19 yards. So, um, Anthony Richardson in his biggest game of the season was pretty much a no-show. Early on in the season, he never surpassed 200 yards in his first three games and didn't throw a touchdown until week four against Tennessee, where he had his breakout game. Um, You know, Anthony Richardson is a super raw and super intriguing prospect. But everyone who's starting to say that this kid is possibly 1A and 1B with Bryce Young and he's better than C.J. Stroud. I mean, we yes, C.J. Stroud had a loaded offense, yes. C.J. Stroud also has been the prime example of consistency um, over the last two seasons in, in college football. C.J. Stroud from the pocket is insane. I mean, you watch the, different, the difference between watching Anthony Richardson from the pocket and C.J. Stroud and watching them break down a defense and read and then make a beautiful throw down field. It's not even, it's not even comparable. Um, so I just think it's another example of a quarterback who, you know, has a great pro day or has a great combine and then their draft stock rises a bunch and it turns out to be a disaster for whatever team ends up falling in love with the pro day or the, or the, um, or, or the, or the combine, you know, results and, and all the drills that they run and stuff. And, and it goes the other way too. If somebody has a bad pro day, a bad combine, a lot of times Teams will overreact another, in the opposite direction as well, and it usually doesn't work out for them. I, I don't understand why we still ha- have so much stock in these these pro days and these um, all these drills and, and, and what time you run and all that. It's not nearly as important as the game tape, and that is something that has really annoyed me over the last about five to ten seasons as it's really ramped up. I think it's just NFL fans. Honestly, I think it's NFL fans are bored. I think media are bored. I think they want something to talk about. Um, and, it, and it really kind of screws up how I think a lot of people view these prospects coming into the NFL. So pump the brakes on Anthony Richardson. He could end up being a really good NFL player. Could be a, a, a I mean, a franchise-changing NFL player. But I, I, I think he's super raw, and I think his floor is super, super low, along with his ceiling being very high. Okay, moving on to the franchise tag deadline results. And we had a few more players get tagged today. Um, so er, bef- last time we had talked on the podcast, 
Um, we went over Darren Payne getting franchise tagged by the Washington Commanders. Um, you know, a few other a few other players that, that got tagged in um, Evan Ingram, tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Josh Jacobs, uh, running back for the Raiders. And before that, I had already predicted that there was going to be quite a few other players that got the tag. Well, not a lot of them ended up not, including Draymond Jones, uh, Denver Broncos defensive end. Um, and the, the big surprising one was Orlando Brown offensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but another one that did surprise. So the final results were the ones that I've already said, along with Saquon Barkley, um, who received the non-exclusive franchise tag, uh, reported by Mike Garofolo. Uh, Lamar Jackson did get franchise tagged. The Ravens officially placed a non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. Um, and Tony Pollard, the Cowboys placed their non-exclusive franchise tag on Tony Pollard um, on, on Tuesday, that was. Each of these are really interesting for different reasons. So we'll start with, I guess, the most interesting one, which is obviously Lamar Jackson. So you realize, as I said, and I explained in an earlier episode, what the non-exclusive franchise tag and what the difference between that and the exclusive franchise tag. So basically what this offers Lamar or offers the Ravens with Lamar Jackson at this point um, and other teams with Lamar Jackson is that other teams um, are free to negotiate a contract with Lamar Jackson. And Lamar is free to negotiate with whoever he wants right now, a contract. The Ravens still will have the ability to match anything that they want, um, or they will have the opportunity for two first-round draft. If if somebody ends up trying, ends up signing Lamar Jackson, the Ravens decline to, um, decline to um, match, the, match any offer sheet that's given to him, they're going to receive two first-round draft picks for Lamar Jackson. So, the not the exclusive would have made it so that nobody can negotiate with Lamar Jackson. This is really interesting because for the first time in this whole situation that we've been going through with Lamar Jackson, I think there's a possibility that Lamar might get traded. Um, that's kind of what that screams to me is that they're going to at least do their um, due diligence on on seeing where where how, how much interest there is in Lamar, what teams are willing to give for Lamar, and then they might create a bidding war from this. So. It's going to be really, really intriguing to see what teams actually reach out to Lamar, what teams actually offer him a contract, and where Lamar kind of leans on going and stuff. So Lamar Jackson hype is going to really ramp up here heading into free agency. Uh, Tony Pollard on the other side received the non-exclusive franchise tag, and he will be set to earn just over $10 million on the tag. Um, I This... To me, this is the Cowboys just not wanting to let their best playmaker on offense get away. Tony Pollard made a massive leap forward this season. Um, I think he was there, along with CeeDee Lamb, but if you ask me, it was Pollard, was their most explosive player on their whole offense and really was kind of the engine of their offense, and he didn't touch the ball nearly as much as the other star running backs in the NFL do because of Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott is still set to make over $15 million this year on his contract. <clears throat> and there's way too many guarantees for the Cowboys to get out of that. So right now they're set to give both these running backs a combined 25 million over a combined 25 million dollars um, against their cap this year. And this is the Cowboys going into a season where um, they they really need to add to the wide receiver position. Dalton Schultz is a free agent, 
so they really, they really need to try to bring Dalton Schultz back. I'm kind of surprised they didn't end up using the tag on Dalton Schultz, um, but possibly they think that they may think they can get a deal done with him. Um, I I'm I'm very surprised that the Cowboys ended up using the tag on Pollard, but the only thing that I can think of is they just knew they could not afford to let Tony Pollard get away because he's an ascending player, and I think he's turning into um, possibly one of the best running backs in the NFL. But it's going to be really, really tough for them going into free agency to find any sort of uh, players that they can bring in to, and, and pay to fill these positions that they're losing because they are super tight against the cap, and this does not help. And then the last one is Saquon Barkley, and that kind of derives us into the next conversation I was going to have as the Giants placed a non-exclusive tag on Barkley. Um, Barkley had a great year last year, rushing for over 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. Um, He's also set to make just over $10 million on the tag. Um, Another, The Giants could not afford to let Saquon Barkley get away. And that leads us into the next conversation, which is Daniel Jones, who receives a massive contract right before the end of the trade deadline. The Giants reportedly were working on it all through the night with Jones and his agent. And so the contract for Daniel Jones reads, um, the Giants and Jones agreed to terms on a four-year deal worth $160 million. That's $40 million per year, reported by Ian Rapport and Mike Garofolo on Tuesday. Uh, the pact includes $35 million in additional incentives, $82 million over the first two years, and a first-year cap number of $19 million only. Now, this one, this contract is completely different, but also has a similar aspect to how I explained the Geno Smith contract. So, basically, for Daniel Jones with this contract, he is going to receive almost all of his guarantees over the first two years of his of his deal. Um, a lot of it was guaranteed to him at signing, but it looks as though... Daniel Jones has $82 million guaranteed to him from this $160 million contract, and that covers both the first two years of the contract. Um, again, I Daniel Jones last year played really good for this Giants team. He didn't play really good when you're talking about trying to find a franchise quarterback. When you have... When you, when you factor in everything that you need out of your franchise quarterback who's going to be making an insane amount of money... This contract kind of says that he did do that last year, and they want him to build on that. I just think that they're overreacting to a good, a decent season that the Giants had. And they didn't want to let Daniel Jones get away and kind of have to restart. I, I mean, I also think this shows that Brian Dayball truly does think that he can bring even more out of Daniel Jones. And maybe he can. More power to him. He, he was a fantastic coach, a fantastic play caller for the Giants last year. I just think that you're you're elevating Daniel Jones and his play from his first three years of his career um, in one season. And really what it did was it built an offense around Daniel Jones that worked for him. And you had to do a lot of things with that offense to get it to work for Daniel Jones. He still only passed for 15 touchdowns. He still barely passed for 3,000 passing yards. In the NFL today, those are super low marks for your starting quarterback. And now that starting quarterback has a deal that's possibly worth up to $40 million per year over four seasons. This is basically a two-year deal, though. And it's basically, can Daniel Jones, in my mind, it's can Daniel Jones improve over these next two seasons? We're giving him a two-year extension. Um, None of the money in the last two years, it's all there for eye candy. None of it means anything. 
if Daniel Jones doesn't make big steps forward uh, this coming season, take big steps forward this coming season, and really start to elevate himself as a passer in year two with Brian Dayball, um, and, and assumingly more playmakers around him too, because he did have a pretty terrible cast of characters at the wide receiver position. But if he doesn't make take major steps forward passing um, this season, I, I think Daniel Jones is going to have a make or break year coming into 2025. And then the Giants, if it, if if progress is still not made, the Giants will probably end their relationship with Daniel Jones after that. So um, it's a con- it's another contract that I still think it's a bad contract. I think that it holds the Giants back. It holds their ceiling back for sure. Um, even when you have a, such a great coach in Brian Dayball and uh, really have an opportunity to build a really good team finally for the Giants. Um, I think that this contract's going to hold them back a couple years, and uh, that's just my prediction, though. <clears throat> but it, it also should not be looked at as a, a normal $40 million a year contract um, because that's just simply not not what it is. It, it's a... It's a it's a deal that over the next two seasons is going to pay Daniel Jones about forty million, um, in, in total money. But it's but it it it's not some long term thing that they've locked themselves into with Daniel Jones either. Okay, we're gonna take a break and come back with our last bit of news and our best bet heading into Wednesday in the NBA here on Nonstop BS. Okay, Aaron Rodgers. Um, so today there was a report on Tuesday that is record Tuesday night. Um, there was a report that Aaron Rodgers was, um, the Packers give Aaron Rodgers permission to meet with the New York Jets. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy. So the report comes after all of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers saying that they're going to take some time to make a decision. Aaron's going to take some time to make a decision on what he wants to do. And we still really haven't heard anything about that. You know, Aaron, everybody talks about Aaron went into the dark and blah, 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 and all that. Um, all that nonsense that Aaron Rodgers has been um, kind of putting out there since the end of the season. And it looks like today we have the first sign that there may be a um, a divorce between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Um, it's going to be really interesting to hear what Aaron Rodgers has to say about this if he actually does um, seek seek out the Jets and, and have uh, meetings with the Jets and their brass. Or not, and we still have not heard to this point if Aaron Rodgers is going to retire or not. But this is clearly the best situation for Aaron Rodgers. I talked about it, obviously, a couple episodes ago when we went over the AFC East, and I predicted Aaron Rodgers will be a New York Jet. Um, I mean, it just honestly makes way too much sense. When you look at the Jets and what they've built over the last couple seasons, you have so many pieces already put in place. Um, Left tack, offensive line really overall. Um, if Makai Becton stays healthy, he's played really well when he has stayed healthy. Now he's had a hard time staying healthy, but when he's played, when he's played, he's played really, really well. Elijah Vera Tucker, another really good offensive lineman that they drafted uh, in 2021. Um, the offensive line overall did really good last year, um, and if they could stay healthy, they'd be, I feel like, a top five to ten unit um, in the NFL. Uh, then you talk about Brees Hall, Michael Carter at the running back position, Garrett Wilson. Um, at the wide receiver position, um, along with you know a couple other guys that they have there, um, the Jets have a, a really good offensive core at this point of young players that they're not paying to this point. Um, Elijah Moore is the other one that the name I was forgetting, and they also have their full stock of draft picks coming into the year. Oh, not to mention their defense was maybe the best defense in the NFL last year 
littered with rookies from 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 the 2022 draft and young players from the 2020 and 21 draft that they've drafted that have turned into really good players. Um, the Jets have they're in the top five for most available cap space coming into this season. Zach Wilson's there. Maybe Zach Wilson could benefit from a year behind Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is from a lot of the media's and and and. Um, what people say about Aaron Rodgers, he's a hard guy to get along with, but Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers seem to have a great relationship. Uh, th- there seems to be no beef. Aaron Rodgers' teammates at, with the Packers, outside of a few th- early on in his career, mostly early on in his career, he's had great relationships with almost every single Packer player. When any of them talk about Aaron Rodgers, it's nothing but he's a great teammate. He's a great leader. He's he's you know A-plus guy. So a lot of this is media-driven because obviously they don't like a lot of stuff that Aaron Rodgers has had to say over the last couple of of years. Um, they don't like a lot of the ways Aaron Rodgers goes about his business, and a lot of it is kind of hard to watch even as a fan. But at the same at the same time, Aaron Rodgers is someone who is himself, and you you know you're getting the true Aaron Rodgers when he says something. You know it's something that he means, and sometimes you don't get a lot of that in the NFL. So I I respect Aaron Rodgers. I don't always agree with him or always like what he says, but I respect him about as much as any NFL player because he's one great, two, you know you're getting the real Aaron Rodgers, and 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 that's an easy guy to respect. So putting a guy like Aaron Rodgers in a young Jets locker room that already is littered with talent, that they're not having to pay for the next couple of seasons, it seems like just a perfect situation for Rodgers. Um, about the cl- about as close as you can come to what Brady had with the Buccaneers. Maybe a little bit younger and a little more untapped potential to this point, and maybe a little bit more, um, you know, questions. I guess as this team has really only had one year where, and not even a full year where they played really, really good all together. But the potential is just way too good to pass up on. I feel like if you're Aaron Rodgers, and if you get traded, it's basically only a one-year um, guarantee that that you're gonna have to stay there. So it's a great situation for Aaron Rodgers. A good contract for him to get traded on. Um, and, and I think it's, it's definitely worth a shot. And I think Aaron Rodgers will, um, end up meeting with the jets and it's going to be, um, fun to see what ends up coming from that. And if he ends up going to the jets and it's also going to be really interesting to see if there's any other teams that he entertains, uh, visiting the only other one that I could really see Aaron Rodgers possibly entertaining. And I don't really see this being likely is the Carolina Panthers. I, I simply don't think that the 49ers, um, and him are going to be able to just fit up. They don't. The 49ers don't have the draft picks, first of all, um, to really give to Rodgers as they don't have one still uh, in this draft in the first round. So it'd be tough for them to really make a trade for Rodgers. But, um, you know, the Panthers I could see. I just don't know if Aaron Rodgers would want to go there. They do have a lot of young, really good young talent, though, that, you know, most people don't talk about either. Um, and that's a team that I think a quarterback, as I talked about with Derek Carr, could could get a lot better really fast. So that that is one more story that I did want to talk about that I didn't mention in the beginning of the episode. Derek Carr signed with the New Orleans Saints on Mon- early on Monday morning um, in kind of a, a, a surprise move, but it probably shouldn't have been. Um, I predicted that he'd go to the Panthers, but Derek Carr ends up going to the Saints, and it, and it really does make sense in the way of Dennis Allen was a head coach um, for the uh, Raiders back when Derek Carr was a young player for Oakland um, at the time, and and um, you know 
Derek seemed to have a pretty good relationship with him. I think that's why he met with them first. I think that was the first team that he kind of had his eye on. The Saints have a lot of really good talent still on defense, kind of an aging defense, but they have a lot of really good players. And I think they're trying to make one last push with this roster. Um, and Dennis Allen, this is a great move for him to get get a quarterback that he's comfortable with, a quarterback that you know has a low floor. And if and you know put in, a, put in the right situation, Derek Carr can take a team to the playoffs. So um, this Saints team has been to the playoffs multiple times. Most of the players on the roster were there when, when they've been to the, to the playoffs on, and on their deep runs that they've been on. Um, so a really experienced group. And, you know, they have a, a underrated amount of playmakers on offense. When you talk about Chris Olave and what he did as a rookie, he was fantastic. Um, if, if they get Michael Thomas to come back, Alvin Kamara, depending on what happens with him this offseason, and, and if he can kind of revamp and return to the player that he was um, and get one, one or two more years out of him, uh, this, Saint, this Saints team could do some damage. But they also do have a lot that of, of money that they have to figure out here before free agency even begins, before the league year begins, because um, they were one of the heaviest over-the-cap teams coming into this without Derek Carr's contract, and now that they're going to have to fit that in, um, which he got just about just over $35 million a year over, over three seasons. But now that they're going to have to fit that in, it is going to be really tough for them to um, see, what they have, see what they end up doing with money. So interesting for the Saints. Obviously a big move for them. Uh, right now, I feel like they have to be the favorite in the NFC South, but that could definitely change um, pretty quickly as a lot of quarterback moves are coming up. Okay, to finish off for the day, I'm going to give out my one NBA bet that I have for Wednesday night. Um, pretty good weekend betting in the NBA. Um, a lot of crazy games. I'm, obviously, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you watched the, the Knicks and Celtics game on Sunday night. Went to double overtime, Emmanuel quickly, 38 points, played 55 minutes, which is just absolutely insane with Jalen Brunson out. Um, quickly becoming the favorite right now, uh, slightly the favorite for most improved player over Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon returned, though, to action on Monday, so it's going to be a really tight race, and we'll see if uh, Brogdon can hold him off, if Tyrese Maxey can make a push, or what's going to happen with that award. And that's sixth man of the year. I'm sorry, it's not most improved player. Um, but but he's definitely making a push at the award. Um, but anyways, getting into my one NBA bet that I have coming up here for Wednesday night. Um, the only lines that are available are for Wednesday night, so those are the only games that I've kind of started handicapping at this point. But um, the one game that I like is is Portland taking on uh, Boston, the Trailblazers and the Celtics at 6.30 Central Time. Um, the game right now... It, or the the line right now is depending on where you get it nine and a half to ten and a half uh boston's favored um and i and i like boston i got ahead of this and i got a nine and a half with the celtics uh minus 110 i really i like it all the way to 11 basically um the trailblazers already have announced out that nurkic isn't gonna play um anthony simmons is out um so some key injuries for them uh, Robert Williams is also out as he's kind of been out with a hamstring injury over the last uh, couple games. Um, but, you know, really Boston's had a, a tough run here over the last few games. Um, they haven't covered, they didn't cover in four, their last four games until um, Monday night against the, against Cleveland. And then against Cleveland, they lose in overtime 114 to 118. Um, but before that, didn't cover. 
um, against the Knicks, the Nets, Cleveland again, and the and the Knicks again. Um, and they've lost now four of their last five games. So um, Boston really needs to turn this thing around if they want to keep on track with the Bucks for the number one seed. Um, but they are getting healthier, as I said. Brogdon's back, and um, um, just just the Celtics are to me the number one roster in the NFL. I have them rated as the number one team in the NFL or in the NFL in the NBA. Um, I'm, most people do have them rated the number one team in the NBA, and I think once they start to get more healthy and consistently healthy, and they're going to make a real push for the number one seed here coming down the stretch. Um, and with a lot of players out for Portland, it's basically going to be exclusively Damian Lillard. And usually when it's exclusively Damian Lillard against a roster like Boston's, uh, Boston tends to shut the number one number one player on that team down to a degree at least and and kind of get a, a big lead. That's what they've done a lot this season. They've covered a lot of big spreads. Um, so I really like Boston. Anything under 11. When, w- once you get over 11, it ten, it's, <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite a big number. Um, I think I capped the game if I can pull that up. I think I capped it at 12, handicapped it at 12. So, yeah, anything under 11 I like. So an early line of 9.5, I expect that probably to move to uh, 11.5 or 12 probably by tomorrow. So get that as early as you can. Again, I'm recording on Tuesday night, so if you wake up, listen to the podcast, and the line's already moved, my uh, my apologies, but that's what I like it too. Um, okay, thank you guys again for listening to the podcast. A lot of NFL news is probably coming up this week, so... Saturday morning's podcast will be littered with that, along with obviously some or a lot of bets coming up for the weekend. Um, there'll be a lot of NBA games, as always. We've got conference championships in the NCAA, so probably maybe have some bets for that. And then we have another race on Sunday at Phoenix. So um, a lot of action and sports coming up this weekend. You can follow me on Twitter, if you're not following me already, at Cole. I give out all my bets. I have all my records, everything on there, so you guys can follow me there. Follow me on the Action app. That's another really good way to track my bets, follow along with my bets. Um, Not a lot of betting on this episode, but there will be more um, coming up if that's the part of the the podcast that you guys like the most. Um, Follow the podcast on Twitter at NonstopBSPod. Um, And thank you guys again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, um, tell anyone that you know that might be interested. Um, I really appreciate anyone that's done that to this point and everybody who's listening. Um, So... Again, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on Saturday. This is Nonstop BS. personally felt like we had a really successful episode and you know we're not really about the saris like any of the catch-ups like where i was what i was doing you know what we did it we moved on and